Welcome one, welcome all to the Dig Yourself a Hole podcast. You have the incredible pleasure of being one of the perhaps handful of people who will get to listen to the grand premiere of this excellent step in podcasting development. So, this podcast is three close friends attempting to make each other look as stupid as humanly possible. Hopefully I'll be the most successful, but we'll see. I'm your host, Sean. I am also the resident Florida man of the bunch. I'm Aiden. I'm the middle in the trench coat stack. <laughs> and I'm Drew. <laughs> uh. Drew's the short one, by the way. Yeah. Just so we have a, you know, an epithet for him. Yeah. All right. So to make sure that we all know how the format's going to be, essentially, I'll, I'll be the first one to start out and... I'll go on for about five minutes on a topic that I haven't told the other two about. And while I have to do this off memory, they can fact check me as we go along. And if I get something wrong, they'll interrupt me and point it out. And if their correction is correct, then I'll take a penalty point. And then they can ask me questions for about five minutes at the end of my presentation. And then we move on to Aiden. Then we move on to Drew. And then whoever has the most penalty points at the end is the big loser, and whoever has the fewest gets to give the big loser a general field they have to work in. So, like, if I really wanted to ruin Aiden's day, I could make him do sports. All right, with that said, if we're all ready, I suppose I'll go ahead and get started with my presentation. Hi, all. I am the resident physicist of the Bunch 2 for today. And my topic will be about the expanding universe. So, you may have heard of the universe. I hope you have, because you live in it. It has everything, all matter, in it. So, we don't know a whole lot about the universe, honestly. We're not too keen on knowing things, in a, in a very cosmic sense. But, we do have a lot of very smart people sometimes who come up with very smart things. One of those people was Sir Isaac Newton, who came up with the law of gravitation. Essentially, this means that things are attracted to each other. If I flop on the floor right now, I will hit the floor at some point or other. So, a, a bit later, a, a good few centuries later, someone comes along named Albert Einstein. You may have heard of Albert Einstein, but you know I wouldn't blame you if you haven't. He's kind of obscure. So... Albert Einstein comes up with the theory of relativity. With special relativity, this means that in relation to speed, certain observers view time and experience time differently. General relativity is sort of similar, except for with gravity. So as Einstein's figuring out this great big equation on general relativity, he winds up having to make a few choices in what it would do. Basically, the two ideas it comes up with are that the curvature of the universe is relative to the average density of the universe. But the other thing that comes from it is that the average density of the universe equals zero. You might have noticed a slight problem with that, because if the density of the universe is zero, then there's nothing in it. So Einstein tries to fix this by using something called a cosmological constant. Essentially, this makes it where, hooray, there can be stuff in the universe now. The reason he does this is because he is certain that the nature of the universe is static. It never changes in size. Things don't spread out. 
It just pretty much stays the way it is. However, a little bit later, a Soviet scientist comes along named Alexander Friedman. Friedman comes up with these equations, fittingly called the Friedman equations, that essentially say, no, the universe is definitely expanding, but since all mass in the universe is attracted to itself, to each other, rather, it will eventually, the expansion of the universe will eventually slow down and then stop, and then it'll start shrinking. So for a very long time, we thought that the universe would end with a big crunch. Everything would get so attracted to itself that it would become infinite density, and then maybe another big bang would happen. Who knows? But later on, we figured out that that wasn't quite the case, because we've actually quite recently observed that the universe's expansion is accelerating, not slowing down. So now we have a much different idea from the big crunch. We have what we call either the heat death of the universe or the big freeze. Essentially, there's this really nerdy concept called Gibbs free energy. And as the universe expands, this energy is placed less densely across the universe, which means there's less heat across the universe. So essentially, as the universe expands, it gets colder. And as it gets colder, things start to freeze to death, which isn't exactly great, but Wait, that's how it is. Sorry, what? I have a correction. Okay, shoot. So you said that the universe is going to end either A, um, with the big, um, what was it? Uh, the heat death of the, the universe crunch? or the big freeze, but they're the same thing. No, 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 no. They're, they're called either the heat death of the universe or the big freeze. I don't know. That's what I said. I can go back in post-production and check, but I'm pretty sure that's what I said. Okay, okay. Because I was, I was saying for a while, we believed it was the big crunch, but now physicists are leaning towards either... Oh, I, I get where the misunderstanding is here. Okay, yeah, no, I meant you could call them either the big freeze or the heat death of the universe. Okay, okay. Okay, is that good and resolved? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would still like an error point to be put against you because grammar is important. Okay, but to be fair, it's not my fault that the English language was so poorly made. Uh, hey, hey, hey. Blame that on like Chaucer or something. Or Shakespeare. Let's blame it on Shakespeare. That's always a good idea. Anyway, so you're probably thinking, but wait, that's just a whole bunch of numbers. How does that prove anything? That's a great point. Let me tell you how we actually know that the universe is expanding. There was this other guy that you may have heard of called Edwin Hubble. He wasn't a Soviet. He wasn't a German. He was actually an American. That's right. Americans can be smart sometimes. Not that, you know, the three of us are exactly great proof of that, but it's, it's possible. Trust me. So Hubble likes to observe the universe because he's kind of an astronomer or something. And as he does so, he realizes, wait a second light that's traveling further to us is starting to look more red in the sense that the essentially the wavelengths are getting longer and they expand the further that they are away. The reason for this, Hubble realized in Hubble's law, fittingly enough, is that since both the Earth and whatever object that light's coming from are moving away from each other, the wavelength expands. Therefore, the universe is expanding. 
So, yeah, that's more or less how we know that the universe is expanding. So, with that, are there any questions from the audience? I have a question. Shoot. So, you said that Hubble's law says that we can look at red light within the universe, and we can prove that the universe is expanding because that light is expanding as it reaches our eyes, or telescopes. Well, okay. We can prove that since, say, for example, the Earth and Alpha Centauri are having light get more red, the wavelengths are getting longer over time, essentially, they have to be moving away from each other. Because if only one was moving away, that wouldn't happen. We wouldn't have a redshift, as it's called. So they have to both be moving away. And since you could apply this to any two bodies astronomically, it has to be true for the universe as well. Therefore, the universe is expanding. But couldn't there be extinction with the reddening of dust in the interstellar medium? <laughs> what? <laughs> that, was, that was definitely from, from a page. You know what, Aiden? I, I will gladly answer this question if you can explain to me what it means. Okay, so the interstellar medium has these dust clouds. Uh, okay. And their dust clouds are like they have particles of dust in them or like interstellar dust okay. uh, that basically um, refract light um, causing either like a reddening or I guess a reflection uh, that causes like blue things and hotter stars. Um, okay. And so unless I'm completely mi- mi- missing this up. Um, and so, like, for example, the sunset that we have, we see that it's red because the light is coming at an angle. It's bouncing off of these. Um, the blue light is getting bounced off as it's um, coming towards Earth. So, like, during the sunset, that happens. And during the sunrise, that happens because it's at an angle. Um, and it does that because the shorter wavelengths are being caught by the small molecules of dust. So okay. the, the bluer colored waves are bouncing off and the red is hitting us a lot. And this happens. That's why we have lots of, lots of red nebulae. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, sure. I don't know what the question is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. I don't remember either. Great. Okay. Drew, you got anything okay, for let's me? Let's see. Can you tell me either what year or in what work was Newton's law of universal gravitation in? Ooh, universal gravitation? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm, I'm going to guess oh. it was probably in the 1660s along with that time you invented calculus. Ooh, no, 1687 in the Philosophy ah, okay. Naturalis Principia Mathematica. Oh my god, yeah, of course it's in the Principia Mathematica. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. Alright, I'll take that. Okay, so that's one. I'll put a sound effect in, in uh, post-production to show that I got dunked <laughs> on. Alright. You made uh, a big deal about Hubble being American. Where was he born? In America. Alright, next question, Drew. <laughs> Where in America? <laughs> no, 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 no. You didn't yeah, specify, you didn't specify on the Drew. Okay, I, I guess I'll continue on this universal gravitation since it was early, so you might not remember everything. <laughs> nice. Okay. Who was the first to test uh, Newton's theory? It was, and I'll give you a hint, it was, was in 1798. 1798? 
we're going to go with Ben Franklin because I don't know. He seems like the kind to do it. <laughs> it was Cavendish. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it is. James uh, Cavendish, two. right? Wasn't he a Scottish guy? Uh, let me check. He was born in. He's actually born in Sardinia, technically, in the kingdom of. Um... Okay, good enough. All right, Aiden, you've, pr- you've got like a minute. That one, Give me something good. Uh, okay. What was the work that Friedman published his findings in? Ooh. It had a very long name. Not <laughs> either the Russian answer, the German answer. Okay. Since I only have 30 seconds left, can I give you like the, um, the, the condensed version of the name? No, I want the full name. <laughs> well, you're not getting it. It's like, if I'm remembering correctly, it's something along the lines of on... Mm. Oh, no. <laughs> Jeez. It's like on a negative curvature of the universe or something like that. Negative density of the universe, maybe? Something like that. Aiden, would you like to, well, would you like to tell us? I just told you. No, you didn't. Oh, I think yeah. you cut out. Uh, it's on the possibility of a world oh, with a constant awesome. negative curvature of shape. Oh, I hate you. Yeah. I literally got so much of yeah, that. So what tell I- me what. Three? Yeah, I know. That's why I said you should get it. <laughs> You're the worst. All right, fine. That's three yeah, penalty three. points for me. I'll take yeah. it. All right, Aiden. Let's uh let's see what you have for us. Oh gosh. Okay. I have a lot of different place names that I all fell out of my head the second you said my name just now. That should be great. Great. So, That's even better. We are gonna see how this goes. I would like to talk to you about the execution of the Marquis of Montrose. Where's Montrose around this game? Montrose is a small, tiny little dukedom in the eastern side of Scotland. Um, politically and culturally, it's more associated with the Highlanders um, and the Midlanders than the Lowlanders. And historically, the Lowlanders sided with England. Wait, the I'm Highlanders sorry. Hold on. Sided. sorry, sorry. Time out for a second. Did he was the what of Montrose? Marquis. The Marquis. Ah, he is the Marquess of Montrose. Oh not my the goodness! <laughs> that's, it's just a pronunciation yeah, that, that's, thing. I think that's just, <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. Go on. Okay. <clears throat> Marquis is French, though was James Graham. Okay. Why do I hate James Graham? I know you're asking yourself. Being a proud Presbyterian myself, and he was a traitor to my religion. <laughs> Sounds like a great guy. I can't, I have like a, I have an outline for my thing. And I guess That's I can't funny. use my outline anymore. <laughs> oh, sad day. Okay. So the Marquis of Montrose, um, famously known now as a romantic, um, a romantic English uh, soldier and hero. He was famous in his time for his poetry and his literature, as well as his leadership in battle. He fought in the War of the Three Kingdoms um, on the side of the Highlanders. Um, this was after Charles I was executed and um, he was replaced and he was fighting with the Scottish to try to reestablish a Scottish kingdom. However, as we all know, that did not go very well. Historically, the Scottish kind of lost a lot. Um, And so he was exiled to the continent. 
or he escaped to the continent. More accurate. Um, I'm gonna take a pause real quick. Technically, the side he was on, with, I believe, yeah, in um that war, would have probably been called the Scottish Covenanters. Ah, but I was getting to oh, that okay. because I was just about to jump into my religion section. Oh, okay. Ah. Uh, okay. Oh. Because, well, yes, their force would have been called the Covenanters technically. A more accurate description would be that their religion was more associated with the idea of Coventry, right? Because the word Coventers comes from this idea of covenant with God, i.e. Um, the priesthood of all believers, this idea that God is there with um, each of us. Being Presbyterian, coming from a Calvinist tradition, it was founded in Switzerland and then brought to Scotland by John Knox, um, the Scottish very quickly converted to this new form of Protestantism, uh, moving away from the Anglican church. The crown didn't love this. Um, the crown being Anglican or being the head um, wanted to stamp out Scottish Protestantism as best they could. And so this was part of that, that war. Um, anyway, so when he was in exile, they, the churches, the five major churches in the Church of Scotland grouped together and they composed a letter. It was a letter to the English government or English parliament. Um, and basically it said, we're breaking away and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and if they could, and the king said, if you could get the signatures of X amount of dukes or X amount of people who hold the title being um, fleeing for his life on the continent, uh, the Marquis was the only signature they needed. And they asked him, they were like, hey, you fought for us. You believe in us. You're Scottish. Why don't you sign? And he was like, yeah, sure. No problem. But then he was also contacted by the English. And when he came back, when he came back to Scotland, he decided to fight for the English instead, scratching out basically, metaphorically, his signature on the covenant, but he'd already signed it. This covenant still exists. There's five copies of them. Um, I believe the only one that's still completely intact is in St. Giles Cathedral. Um, and he signed it, but when the Scottish heard that he, um, that he basically betrayed them, um, they went and they captured him and they brought him uh, to a Scottish prison, and the next day they bring him into the Scottish Parliament and they try him for treason. Then decide that he should be hung, and so they hang him. And they hang him for three hours in Edinburgh Square until he's dead. And then they dismember his corpse, cutting his head off and all of his limbs. They then send each of his limbs to one of the major churches, and his head is put on the spire of St. Giles Cathedral, where it remains for a long time. Um, a couple of years pass, about two, two centuries, um, and Victoria comes, and she sees that what they collected the head and the body um, on the torso, and they buried it in the churchyard, and she sees that one of her kin has not been buried properly. And so she pays the Church of Scotland to recollect the missing body parts for the Marquis of Montrose. Um, 
but they had trouble finding it. And so eventually they are able to find it. And now he has a nice corner in the cathedral itself. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Okay. Nifty. So I have, I, I think a pretty good question for you. I think one that you should know. Okay. All right. <clears throat> There's this very famous biographer of James Graham named John Buchan, I think. Buchan? Mm. Something like that. Yes, him. Yes. And John Buchan claimed that Graham had a certain favorite book. Do you know what that favorite book would be and by whom? Oh, well, of course I know what that favorite book would be. It is... Furiously typing? Uh, nope, nope, I'm not. Well, that's just the look I picked up, so I'm not. Oh, no. Um, uh, his favorite book is uh, Macbeth by Shakespeare. It is not. It was actually claimed to be History of the World by Sir Walter hmm. Raleigh. Oh, hmm. interesting. <laughs> so that'll be one. Okay, let's see. Um, let's see. What number of Marquis was he of Montrose? So, you know. He was okay. the first. Good job. All right. Riddle me this. Sir, how um, many nothing. siblings did he have? Two. No, he had five. He was the youngest of five children. That's two. Uh, five is just a two backwards. I think I should get only half a point. No. We only do integers in this yeah. household. Let's see. <laughs> what university did he go to? Oh my goodness. Wait, I actually remember looking oh, at no. this. Oh <laughs> no. My first instinct is to say St. Andrews because that would have been established, but I don't know if it would have been a formal school. So I'm going to say St. Andrews. Yeah. St. Andrews? St. Andrews. Yeah, you lucky duck. You got it. <laughs> 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 All right. So. <clears throat> After the restoration, Charles II actually paid for James Graham's funeral. It was quite a lavish funeral, actually. How much did Charles II pay? Oh, I guess I got that wrong. I said I said that Victoria was the one. Oh. Victoria was actually the one who saw that his they didn't keep they didn't take care of his tombstone like they did with all the other royalty. Oh. Well, this was paying for his funeral. It was in oh, 1661, yeah, yeah. so you might still be Maybe. right. No, 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 I was wrong. Okay, I should so get a point. That's the, what, that's okay, three. if you insist, that's three. So, so this could be four. You know what? Now I feel bad. You can just have. I'm not even going to ask you this question now. <laughs> Drew, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. I don't know if Aiden said this. What battle was he captured in? Oh, it starts with a C. C A I L A N. Kylan? Kulan? I mean, you lost it after I think about the second or third letter, uh, about like a third or fourth letter. It was third. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Carpus Dale. Yeah. I probably mispronounced that, but. Yeah. And that um, brings you to four. Yep. Okay. Um, I think that's been about five minutes, unless I've miscounted. Am I correct? Sure. I'm going to say so. All right. Good enough. Okay. So that brings us to good old Drewski. Oh, okay. So I guess I'm going to talk about the, eh, the war, if you'd like to call it that. So I'm going to keep it within the history. Um, that, that uh, Aiden started. Basically, that, that basically would lead to the screwing up of the English language. 
Nice. Um, so this war takes around fam- this fairly famous you know, war wars, depending on how you might want to look at it. Took pla- took in the, took ooh, goodness took place during the year 1066. Now, before I go in, I'm gonna go a little beforehand to kind of ex- so you kind of understand how we get to this war. So basically, in about um, the 10 late 1020s, probably early 1030s, maybe give or take, um, there was a king of Denmark mainly. Um, though he can told he would he would be claimed to be the king of England at one point in some other bits and pieces. Um, called Canute the Great. So basically, he's so he at, during his reign he controls part of England and is and has of course the other kings and whatever whatnot. Um, basically, uh, recognize him as the overall king, and he also at one point marries the um, a woman by the name of Emma of Normandy. Um, and basically, within sire a son through through him uh, through her, and he would later uh, become the would, would take on his throne. Um, or yeah. Anyway, so and through his familiar to his familial uh, connections, and then a later man by um, would basically make up this. I guess you could so call it uh, the English War of succession if you kind of want to play off some other later wars that kind of have a similar idea yes that's but that's a few hundred years down the road anyway so again back in 1066 we have three main uh, claimants to the now now vacant uh, throne of england you first have the the english claimant named harold godwinson and he pretty much takes on the actual throne as he's the only one there to actually take the crown. Well, of course, by that, by him doing so, angers two other guys. The first guy, who is, I believe, a direct descendant, would be a direct descendant of Canute, um, was a man by the name of Harold Hardrada. So he's the guy actually in Denmark and all that, and is a, a Norse, or Viking, if you like to call him that, uh, leader. The third guy has claims through the brother of um, of Emma of Normandy. So the, again, a slight familiar connection to uh, Canute. His, and his name, at least at the time, was William, uh, William Duke of Normandy. He gets a nice little name uh, later on, but we'll get to that. So these three men basically are fighting for, you know, the throne of England. Well, the first person to really do anything is Harold Hadrada. He invades the, in the north of England, um, where him and Harold Godwinson come to fight at the Battle of Stamford Bridge, which ends up being an Anglo-Saxon victory. So, and anyway, and then after that, so just to kind of basically kind of cut things short, then basically Harold Godwinson has to quickly turn around from Stamford Bridge and head back down to the, the southern coast of England at a, around a town named uh, Hastings. Because at this point, William has now crossed the English Channel and landed in, in southern England. And, they, and it basically culminates into the Battle of Hastings, where William is eventually the victor. Um, Harold Godwinson is killed. Um, 
and basically this is where we see the cavalry of the Normans become much more effective, you know, basically give them a huge advantage over the Anglo-Saxons and their shield wall, which ends up actually basically failing because of discipline within their army that basically makes their shield wall break. And well, the, the what makes a shield wall effective is, well, it's staying as one piece. As soon as a section of it leaves, you're, you've kind of screwed yourself at that point. Anyway, so William wins, Harold Godwin is dead, Hadrada leaves back to uh, Norway and Denmark, and so William then is crowned king in Westminster Abbey, and would of course bring in any kind, different kinds of uh, French um, influence into the region. Um, you can actually see it if you go to London today in what we call the, the Tower of London, which was originally called the White Tower. Basically, it was how they kind of, it was outside, originally outside the city, and basically watched, was kind of how they controlled it. They watched over the city from that area, they governed it, that city from, you know, and they did this, it, probably in other areas, but that's one we definitely see today, where we know Norman Castle, you know, that we know it was basically used to help control that. And so, after this point, of course, William, now William I of England, also gets a nice little name that we call William the Conqueror. And basically, you can see all you can see kind of the story of William and the wars, uh, the, the two battles within 1066 in the Bayeux Tapestry, which basically, like I said, commemorates, I believe, starting with the battles of Stamford Bridge and then ending with the Battle of Hastings and the eventual, again, coronation of William. So, yeah, that was a quick rundown of that. All right, cool. Um, let me let me ask you a quick question about Mr. Hardrada. Where, when Hardrada had landed, mm -hmm. did he encounter his first bit of resistance? Um, <laughs> I'm going to say York. I believe I'm referring to a town. Let me check. Yeah, I'm referring I'm to a York. Town. It is actually Scarborough. Oh, Scarborough. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm in the right kind of county, Yorkshire. I'm in the right area. Yeah, I mean, it's but close, but not <laughs> But <quite>. I'm wrong. <laughs> Sad day. Okay. All right, Aiden, you got anything for us? As we all know, Harold died to an arrow in the eye. Mm -hmm. But can you tell me, what is he writing in the Bayou Tapestry that depicts his death? Oh. Oh, goodness. Uh, I would guess. Oh. I want to say a horse, but they're known not to have cavalry, so I. I... One also say he wasn't writing anything. I'm trying to think. But they paint him as that, or paint him. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say nothing because he, I feel like since they did have cavalry, he might not have been on anything. I hate that you're right, but you yes. are. It was nothing. <laughs> yes. So I'm like <laughs> that's the reason why the, the wow. Saxons lost. The Saxons lost. They didn't have cavalry. Okay. Okay. So Harold Godwinson okay. had a brother who made a lot of probing attacks during the along the southern coast mm -hmm. of England um, to kind of you know be a precursor mm -hmm. to dealing with William. What was Harold's brother's name? I'm just gonna go with. I don't know. I'm just gonna go with a random Saxon name, Ethelstan. 
good guess, but it is actually, oh, geez, I'm going to mess this up. But luckily, we have our resident Old English person here. Uh, I think it's Toastig? Uh, Toastig. Toastig? Yeah, Toastig, Toastig. Yeah, I think Toastig. All right. That brings us to two. Aiden, you got any, uh, got any good questions for us? Aiden, I think you also might have disappeared. I actually do have one. I'm looking at this beautiful picture of Harold getting shot in the eye still. Can you tell me what letters of his name are separated by his head? Little. uh, I'm going to say the R and the O. I'm going to say it's right in between Harold. It is not. It's the L and the D are cut off. That is such a weird one. Why would you put it there? All right. So I have another question for you, Drewski. I think we're approaching five minutes, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Okay. Harold Godwinson, as we all know, was shot in the eye. Okay. Where was Harold Hardrada shot and killed? Um, Like what part of his body? I'm going to say in the neck. <sighs> yeah. What a scam. Thought I had okay, that one. That's lucky guess. <laughs> All right. So, uh, has that been five minutes? I, I th- Aiden, I can you... Uh... Close. I thought that was five yeah. minutes. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, right now, I have three okay. for me, four for Aiden, and three yeah. for Drew. How dreadful. So Aiden's clearly the big yeah. loser for the day. Congrats. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a big honor to be the first big loser. Uh, yeah, I know. That was so. really the whole purpose of the game, right? Congratulations. Yep. So after we finished recording all of the presentations for this episode, we realized that we've made a horrible mistake with our tie-breaking procedure. So we're going to take away tie-breaking from this episode, and we'll just have it where Aiden will forever be known as the first big loser of this podcast, so long as we may live. Meanwhile, we'll fix the new system and bring it in next week for the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and if my physics professor happens to be listening, please feel free to give me an A for this um, excursion. And we hope to see you back next week for the next episode, releasing at the same time, on the same day, in the same places. Thanks so much.